Well, I want to thank you for a last weekend. It was a glorious, glorious Easter. I, I really, we really had a, a great time. And it was just um, one of those magical times in, in, in the life of our church and um, just being here and worshiping the Lord together with you and others that came and then visitors. And it, it just was really a, um, a wonderful time. And I thank you for the privilege of, of being able to, uh, to uh, be a part of that and, and how you all responded and just how it went. It was a glorious time. We, t- we went away from the book of Acts, and uh, of course now we are back in the 15th chapter. If you wouldn't mind, turn with me there, please. And what I thought I would do, if you don't mind, is kind of um, a review a little bit, because it's been two, three weeks uh, since we took a look at this section of Scripture. Um, I would like to review a little bit, because um, it just um, overwhelms me, um, to be able to study the Bible line upon line, word after word, to see how God brings things together in His proper time. If you recall, there was a problem within the church. Chapter 15, look at verse 1. The problem came down from Judea. It says, Some men, verse 1 of chapter 15, came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses... You cannot be saved. Now, they were telling that to the Gentiles. They were setting them apart. They were setting the Gentiles apart, saying, look, you've got to come in. If you're coming into our church, you've got to come in through the traditions of Moses. You've got to be circumcised. Not only they said that, but it kind of filtered through others. And if you look at verse 5, it said, even certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it's necessary, it is necessary to circumcise them, them, of course, still meaning the Gentiles, and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And I said to you last couple weeks ago, and I reminded you, don't let this smokescreen of circumcision get in the way of what they were trying to do. They were trying to get the Gentiles to fall in line with the traditions of Judaism so that they might be saved. They were saying, here are our criteria for salvation within our church. The apostles got wind of this and they reasoned among themselves that that wasn't what Jesus Christ taught them. No, the orders that they had was that everyone was able to come to salvation equally by grace through faith. Grace meaning unmerited favor. In other words, what they were saying, what they ended up saying to everyone is, look at, none of us are worthy. None of us are able to come to the Lord by doing certain ritualistic laws or traditions. Traditions are not going to qualify us into the kingdom of God? Grace would. Unmerited favor does. What Jesus Christ did at the cross is what enables you and me by faith to be right before God. Because God no longer looks at us. Because we are at best sinners saved by the grace of God Almighty. 
And so therefore we need an, a, a, a Savior. We need that one who would come and wipe away our sins so that we might be right before God. And so that was the message. Now, on the other hand, I said to you, don't be misled by what they asked the Gentiles to do. What was happening here was that there was to be a a peace, there was to be a, a, a cohesiveness within the family of God. Jew and Gentile alike were to come together and worship the Lord. Watch. I really love the way Peter made mention of this, and maybe it was not only just Peter, but James. But look at verse um, 8, for instance. Peter said this, God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, them meaning the Gentiles, and gave them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. In other words, they're coming to faith just like we did. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that they are. In other words, they believe like us, we believe like them. There is no upper hand here in our faith. We are all on equal ground. We all come to Christ the same way. And so that was what was at issue. It wasn't circumcision. It wasn't the laws, the rituals, uh, the rules that were set down by some quote-unquote religious belief. No, what was at issue was the Jews wanted the Gentiles to have faith like them because they were afraid, multitudes were coming, that they would overrun them within the church. And they were fearful of that. Didn't want that to happen. And so... What we learned was this. What you and I do within the confines of the church is that we are to help one another grow and mature in our faith. That is the purpose of us gathering together. Not to cause someone who might be what is called in Scripture weaker, but meaning less mature than you or me. We are to encourage them. And I made mention to you out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this, plain and simple, do nothing from selfishness nor empty conceit, but with humility of mind, and here's the key, let each of you regard one another as more important than you do your own self. You see, within the four walls of a church, if you and I can come to that understanding in our lives, if we can not have the senior pastor being the, the be-all of our church, but just another one of the members of our church, no one is more special than anyone else here in our church. All of us are to regard each other as more important than we do our own selves. It goes on to say, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but looking out for, caring for the interests of one another. I'll tell you something, guys. You want to have a great marriage? Ladies, don't listen for just a second. Ladies, please, go do la, la, la. You want to have a great marriage? You treat your wife more special than you do your own self. You care for your wife with all of your heart and make her feel like she is the most precious, most wonderful gift that God has ever given to anyone on the face of this earth. You treat her as more special than you do your own self. And you're going to have a marriage 
when they bury you guys, they're, gonna, they're, gonna, they're not going to be able to wipe the smile off your face. Because here's what I didn't want the ladies to listen to, and they won't hear this right now because it's just between us. If you love her that specially, she cannot help but respond. And she'll end up letting you do anything you want. <laughs> she'll treat you like gold. If you just love her the way that she wants and needs to be loved, oh my, you've just tapped into the most wonderful gold mine in the history of life. And that's the attitude we should have within the church. There should be none of us that are more special than another. And so that's what was at stake here when the apostles sent this letter to the Gentiles. It wasn't circumcision. Didn't even mention circumcision in the letter. What was at issue was, is that we gather together to encourage one another, to help bless one another. So what we do within here is to help each other grow, to become the people that God's called us to be. And we learned last, no, two weeks ago, that God never, ever saved anyone by keeping the law. So when they said, we want you to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses, or you can't be saved, Peter asked in verse 10, remember? Why do you put God to the test? In other words, why are you putting a standard upon those that are coming to Christ that even God himself hasn't set? God says it's by grace, unmerited favor, that we are saved. By nothing that you and I can do or nothing of our credit will make us right before God. So he says, why are you putting God to the test? Look at verse 10. You placed upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor you could take could, could bear. We couldn't handle it. We cannot come to faith by by doing what is right. We all fall short. So who are you, he is basically asking, to put a standard upon the church that even God doesn't do? Because you and I, we can't live up to that standard. There has never been a person who has kept the law except for Jesus Christ. So at stake here couple, two, three weeks ago, what we were leading up to this point, and you're going to see how you're going to see how wonderfully God ties this together because there's a great lesson to be learned through helping each other mature in our faith in this particular place in Scripture. It is the very essence of what we've been learning. You're going to see it today. So at what was at stake wasn't circumcision, wasn't ritualism, It wasn't becoming a Jew first before you could be saved. What was at stake was the attitude between the Jew and the Gentile, the love that they were to have for one another inside the four walls of the church. Look at verse 11. Peter said very clearly, We believe this. This is what we believe. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they, the Gentiles, are. 
And so, with this letter that was sent to Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, this letter that went to these different Gentiles who were in these churches, who by multitudes were coming to Christ, this, this letter set them free. Look what it says. It, it says in, in, uh, in verse 31, when they had read it, they received it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. What was its encouragement? That they didn't have to do the law. They didn't have to do rituals. They were saved just as the Jews were saved. And the Jews were saved just as they were saved. And it established the doctrine of salvation by grace. It was one of the greatest challenges that the church had up to that time. Paul later wrote, for by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You probably know these verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is what? It is a gift given to you by God Almighty. Not as a result of works, because there's nothing that you can do that will earn you salvation. Not as, a, not as a result of works, so that none of us might boast. None of us, none of us can stand here and say, well, you know, what I did for this church, boy, God's got to accept me. I mean, I am, I am, I am really something else. No, no, that's, God knows our nature. We have been saved because of God's unmerited favor. You and I do not deserve what we received, a wonderful gift of salvation. And we received that by faith, not of ourselves, so that none of us can boast, not according to what we do. What you and I do is just an expression of our love once we become saved. It's just an expression of, 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 of giving back to God a portion of what He has given to us. And so within the confines of the churches, we've learned that there are certain gifts that you and I have that are, 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 are so necessary for one another. Your gift, the gift that you have, might be the perfect gift that, that, that brings someone from, from out of nowhere into a place where they are just flourishing before the Lord and, and doing things that, that mature and help us grow in our faith. And so please, I beg of you, do not... Do not neglect serving the Lord with the gift that He has given you. And, and, and how to explain what your gift is, it's just, it's just really trial and error as I see it. It's just getting, serving the Lord, doing something for the Lord. And, and, and in time, if, if it's not that particular thing you're doing, the people will let you know. And in time, you'll find that very area where you are serving the Lord and enjoying it so much. And may I say something that could be controversial. I want to say this. If you're serving the Lord and you're feeling pressure of it, you're feeling like, oh man, it's like work. It's, 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 it's like pulling teeth. I, am, I want to say to you that more than likely you're not in the area of your giftedness. And stop doing it. Stop trying to serve the Lord in that fashion where you, every time you serve Him, you feel a burden. You feel like a heaviness. You feel like, gosh, I, 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 just, I just can't do this. No, no, when you serve the Lord under your area of giftedness, there is an energy that comes and overtakes you that you cannot do it often enough. I mean, I've had, honestly, I've had pastors come to me and say, how after all of these years you've been preaching, are you still so passionate? Why is it, when they find out, I don't take vacations, as you pretty much well know, 
I don't even want to miss next week after this operation. It's my deepest prayer that no matter how much it hurts, that I'll be able to come here and preach. Now, that, you might say, take a break, John. We need someone else. But now that, that's understandable. That is understandable. But in my heart, I cannot wait. I am like, I cannot wait to come here and be with you. And there's a passion of doing this that has never left me for all of these years. Never have gotten tired. I've never thought, oh man, I've got to do this again next week. I always say, oh man, I can't wait to do this again next week. There has never been a desire for me to stop doing it. And I don't believe that I'm, I'm uh, out of the norm. I believe once you do... What God has called you to do in your area of giftedness, He will supply you the power. He will supply you the strength and the energy to do it. And so if you are doing something right now here at this church that you feel it's a burden, just stop. You don't have to apologize or anything. But find something somewhere where you can serve, where you have that joy. Because it is, it is the finest thing you'll ever do. When you serve the Lord in that area of giftedness and you know, you know, and you know that you are doing something that God desires for you to do. And so for by grace we've been saved through faith. It's, it's not of ourselves. It, it's God's gift. It's not a result of something that we've done to make ourselves special before God. So we can't boast. Therefore, Satan's attempt through trying to to bring into the church another program, another ritual, was was thwarted. And what really was thwarted, the split of the church along racial and cultural lines. Now, let's get to where we ought to be today. With that lesson in mind... With that being taught to the church in Antioch, in Syria, and Cilicia, Paul and Barnabas say, let's go to the other churches and tell them. Let's teach this lesson so that it's not lost in the other churches, that everyone is equal in the eyes of God. That lesson needs to be taught everywhere. And so look at verse 35, and this is where we'll start. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. And here's where we're, we take off for today. Read to the end of this chapter. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord. And let's see how they are. Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. It is, the, it is one of God's greatest blessings that he allowed us the insight to see 
that there is a major, I don't mean a small, there is a major disagreement, sharp disagreement, between Barnabas and Paul upon who is going to go on this mission journey. And I want you to watch with me how they solved this disagreement and how things ought to be done within the family of God. Let's face it. Let's face it. They are humans just like us. And there will arise among us disagreements. How do we handle it? Kind of entitled this message, Let's Agree Sometimes to Just Disagree. But for goodness sakes, let's not cause sin in it. Watch what happens between these two wonderful men of God. Let's pray first. Please, Father. Would you open up our eyes and our hearts that we might, Father, uh, we might behold the most wonderful of gifts that anyone has ever been given. I, I guess apart from our salvation, Father, but it is this gift that you have given us that allows us to understand our salvation. And that is that we might behold the wonders of your word That we would be a church that is committed to studying the Bible, studying your word line upon line, so that you might make sense of what we are learning. And dear Father, how we see that take place here in the book of Acts. How line upon line, chapter after chapter, things are starting to fall into place. And we're seeing why the apostles did what they did and, and how it works when we become mature when we become grown up in our faith and think more highly of another person than we do our own selves. And so, Lord, teach us so that this church might be an example, if need be, Father, in other places, that they would see a group of people who are opinionated but yet get along, who disagree sometimes and yet agree to disagree. May we be a group of people that learn a great lesson from Barnabas and Paul. Thank you for this example, Father. And now I pray that you would move me aside. Please, dear Father, let us us see your word. Let us see what you teach us through Barnabas and Paul and John Mark and, and, and even Silas Little, but mostly those two men, three men. So, Father, please move me aside. Let us hear from you this day, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It says in verse 36, after some days, we don't know how much time, but but, uh, Paul and Barnabas had stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. And that, that was Paul's, that was all of the disciples and all of the apostles, that was their agenda. They taught the word of the Lord to the people. And after some days, we are told in verse 36, Paul comes to Barnabas and says, Hey, let's go back. Let's go visit the the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord. Let's see how they're doing. In other words, let's tell them of what's happening here. Let's make sure that they're not going off course. Let's make sure that they understand this salvation comes by grace alone. And let's make sure that the people within the church, Jew and Gentile alike, are getting along with one another. 
You want to talk about the pure love for the Word of God and for the brethren. Paul and Barnabas have made an agreement. Let's go back to the very places where our lives were at the deepest point of danger, even death. And let's go back because they are concerned about the believers. They're concerned about the churches. They're concerned about the Word of God being taught in those places that they planted. They're more concerned about them than they are their own lives. You want to know if you're called into uh, the mission field? I'll tell you. I'll tell you how. First of all, there must be a, a passion that burns within your heart to reach people with the Word of God. As verse 36 says, to proclaim the Word of the Lord. I'll tell you this, without a burning desire to go in the mission field, no amount of training that you might have, no amount of education that you may have, have, have experienced, no amount of techniques that you have knowing how to do this or that will qualify you. As Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, here's what he said about ministry. Here's what he said. In fact, it's one of my favorite verses. It, it kind of is a, a standard, if you would, for me. He says this, if, not the word if there is not if, maybe it is and maybe it isn't. It's really since. He says, since I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about. He says, because I am under compulsion, woe is me, he says, if I don't preach the gospel. Man, do I understand that. I understand that with all of my soul. I I don't want to take a vacation. Why? Why go away? When I come back, there's just more work to do. I'd rather stay here and be with you. This is as much a vacation for me as going to Europe right now. I would much rather be here. In fact, I test, as a testimony to that, sometimes my wife, will, well, she understands me so much that she'll go on a, on a trip because she needs to get away and she'll take a girlfriend or two or my daughter or one of the family and she'll go on a trip and, and she lets me stay back and, and preach. Very, very gracious of her. She doesn't want to be with me that much either. Anyways, <laughs> come to think of it. But I understand what Paul wrote here in 1 Corinthians 9.16. Woe, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I, I am under compulsion. And so as I said to you a little while ago, I say again, if you have a, a gift that you are using and you don't feel that, that joy of ministry, then, then back away for a while. Find something that you can do. Because I'll tell you what will happen. If you continue on trying to, trying to get your blessings that aren't there, you're going to end up getting tired of it. You're going to end up, stop doing it. You're going to end up thinking, what's wrong with me? I am, I am really a low-life person and you'll leave the church. You might even leave your faith because you just feel like you can't accomplish what God wants to accomplish through you. And I'm saying to you, it's as simple as that you're probably not in your area of giftedness. Just back off and find something that you want to do that you can't help but do it. It's just your joy to do it. And serve the Lord in that fashion. Don't wear yourself out. Don't do something that, that gets you so overburdened that you just want to leave the church because you don't want anyone to know 
you just don't want to do it anymore. No, just back off. It's not normally a, a popular thing to say. But I trust you. I trust that you'll find your area of giftedness. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to manufacture joy. It's either there or it's not. And you ought to be under compulsion to do what God's called you to do. Now, as you look at verses 37 to 41, there is a great blessing here. Because if you take note, both Barnabas and Paul, when they made up their minds, they were hard-headed men. And so, they're going to teach you and me a lesson on how to settle a problem that arises within the church. The very lesson that we learned a couple of weeks ago is being taught now. In other words, that is, how do we think more highly of the other person than we do our own self? What we see in verse 37 is a key word. It is desirous. The word means persistent. In other words, Paul, by that word, would come back to, to Barnabas and say, let's go, let's go, let's go. But Barnabas was persistent. I'm not going unless John Mark goes. And Paul says, not me. I'm not taking John Mark. Because he he deserted us. Look at verse 38, I think it is. Paul kept insisting that they should not take Barnabas along. I mean, excuse me, John Mark along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia. He had not gone with them. He had not done the work. Look at Paul says, look, we're going out in these places where we're risking our lives. I don't want someone out there with me who isn't going to watch my back. I don't want someone there with me that's going to all of a sudden lift up and go home to mommy. I want someone who's going to be here alongside of me doing the work. And he didn't do it. On the other hand, Barnabas stuck up, stuck in his heels and said, no, no, no. John Mark, John Mark, let's take him. Let's take him. And so it says in verse 39, if you'll note, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along. Paul didn't. So there became a sharp, a sharp disagreement between the two of them. And I am so glad that we get to see this. Because what it teaches you and me, even the best of saints. And let me tell you, there are few and far in between that are better than Barnabas and Paul. And yet even the best of saints come to a place of disagreement. And cannot be agreeable with one another. But as you're going to see, they agree to disagree. They argued. Sharp disagreement. But it didn't mean that they sinned against one another. Or that they got angry with one another. It only meant, pure and simple in its form, is that they they had a disagreement. And eventually, as you're going to see, they just agreed to disagree. And note this well. As sharp as their disagreement was, you don't see them splitting off into their own groups or dividing the church over their quote-unquote disagreements or opinions. They just simply disagreed on one of the members of who was going to go along with them. And it was as simple as that. This is not a sin issue. Neither one of them went to another person and said, uh, Hey, Bill. Pretend I'm Paul. You hear about Barnabas? That jerk. He wants to take John Mark. Do you know what John Mark did? You know John Mark left me alone. 
John Mark left me alone. I'm not going with John Mark. Barnabas is trying to ramrod John Mark down my throat. What do you think of Barnabas? And start causing friction within the family of God. You don't see any of that happening. You don't see them trying to divide over this issue to prove that they're right and the other one is wrong. No. There's just a sharp disagreement. Paul was all business. And he decided in his heart, I gave John Mark a chance. He didn't do it. I'm not going with him again because he could let me down. And I'm not going to go out there trying to win people to Christ and have to babysit John Mark. On the other hand, Barnabas, whose name was a son of encourager, said, I want to see if I can make something out of this young man. Let's take him. And so this sharp disagreement came between both Barnabas and Paul. And let me tell you something. As Paul did not want to take John Mark along because he didn't believe that John Mark was dependable nor faithful, verse 38 tells us as such, later on, later on, Paul wrote these words, said these words in 2 Timothy. Near the end of his ministry, Paul says, there is only Luke with me. Pick up John Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful for me for service. Let me tell you what took place. It doesn't take a genius to figure it out. Barnabas must have done, please forgive me, I don't know why I'm getting so emotional, but Barnabas must have done such a wonderful job of training and maturing John Mark. As was our point two weeks ago. He didn't cause this younger brother to stumble, to feel unworthy. Rather, he must have taken him aside and taught him the things of the Lord so he wouldn't stumble anymore, but that he might grow and become mature. And he did so in such a fashion that later in Paul's life, the very one he says, I don't want him with me, he's saying, now bring him to me, please. He is useful to me. Barnabas did a great job with John Mark. There are some of you here in this church, some of you who have that gift of taking a person and and bringing them along. There's others of of you in this church who are are just, you know where you're going and you know what you want to do and you don't need someone that's going to, you have to babysit while you're doing what you're doing. Neither one is right, neither one is wrong. Both of us Both of those people have a purpose in the body of Christ. But what I want you to note is you can search Scripture high and low and you'll never see that John Mark was angry with Paul. Which shows me that Barnabas never spoke unkindly of Paul in the presence of John Mark. He never said, you know, he didn't want to take you with you, but I do. I, I, I think the world of you... He's a jerk, isn't he? Never. When Paul called John Mark, John Mark rushed to his side to help him. There was that that sensibility within the family of God of pure 
love for one another. And somewhere along the road, Barnabas taught John Mark a most amazing message. And this gets to the core, the very core of what I've been trying to say to you and me for months now. And that is, I am not so worried about how or where or when you began your walk with Jesus Christ. What am I more worried about for you? How we what? How we finish. That's my agenda for you and for me. My agenda through the Word of God is what God would want for you and for me. And that is that we could grow in our faith and we become the men and women of God that God's called us to become. And we grow in such a fashion that we will finish this walk that we have with Jesus Christ as strongly as possible. That we are a group of people who finish strong and hear those great and glorious words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. To Paul, John Mark became useful. And I'm saying to you that Barnabas must have taught him well. So Barnabas, we are told, takes John Mark with him and they go off into where, well, they go off into Barnabas' hometown, into Cyprus. And John Mark goes with Barnabas and, and, and Paul chooses a man named Silas who, we are told, was a prophet. See, Paul wanted someone who could do what has to be done. Paul wasn't the kind of guy, it seems, that wanted to to babysit this guy who was working alongside of him. And they both go. And now there's not one mission team. Now there are two mission teams going off, serving the Lord. And what did they do? In verse 41 it says, Paul and Silas traveled through Syria and Cilicia, and they strengthened the churches. What was it that strengthened the churches? Well, It was what we saw in verse 36. They proclaimed the word of the Lord. Never never miss this, folks. It is God's word, only His word, that will strengthen you and me to become the people that God wants us to become. It is the word of God that we study that will help us to grow little by little. Some of you, you'll shoot up like a rocket ship. You'll just be like a... a, a, There's no stopping you. Praise God. And there'll be others of us that will move at a very slow pace. Which one's more valuable? Both are the same. It is God that allows someone to take off like a rocket ship, and it is God that allows someone to move along slowly. As long as we both have the the desire to serve the Lord, the pace that we do, the amount of work that we do, the things that we do are, are immaterial. Is that the right way of saying it? Not immaterial, right? It's not important. Irrelevant. It's, it's irrelevant, the amount, the, 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 the productivity that you have. It's all God anyways. He's the one that allows it to be successful. And so amazingly, this is the last we see of Barnabas and Paul together in the book of Acts. From now on, we're going to follow Paul. But they never, ever got upset with one another. Paul wrote this about Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9, 6. He says, Do only Barnabas and I 
not have the right to refrain from working? In other words, he says, Barnabas is a workaholic just like me. Do we not have a right sometimes just to refrain from working? And he used Barnabas as his example. Because Paul and Barnabas remained friends. They just had a disagreement and they parted by agreeing to disagree. It was no more than that. No more than that. And so Barnabas, as I said to you, goes on to, history tells us, to Cyprus. That's uh, where he had a tremendous ministry because that was his hometown. He took John Mark with him. John Mark happened to be his cousin. Nourished him, taught him, trained him. Later on, Barnabas went to North Africa and furthered his ministry. And as for Paul, well, we're going to watch what Paul does. Paul becomes a, a dynamo for our Lord he goes into these cities and again, we're going to see next week, he risks his life again for the cause of Christ. Paul, what an amazing man. Barnabas, what an amazing man. John Mark, finishing strong, what an amazing man. Same as you, same as me. We can all finish strong in this walk with Christ. Find your area of giftedness. If right now what you're doing wears you out, stop doing it. Don't need to apologize. Just, just say, listen, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to find something else that more fits me. It's as easy as that. Because if you keep doing what you don't like to do, you're going to someday very soon get burned out. And then you're going to leave. I don't want you to leave. I love you way too much. Love you way too much. Thanks. Pardon me? Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Well... Let's pray. What time is it? Ooh, I'm right on time. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Lord, we want to thank you for uh, the privilege of, of being able to examine the lives of two men that uh, were absolutely amazing being used by you. And even though they had a sharp disagreement, Father, they never, they never really uh, sinned. They never became disagreeable. They just agreed to disagree, plain and simple. Each of them going their way and doing what you've called them to do. And so, Father, I pray within our family we have people who are like Barnabas that will just encourage people to grow and help them. And we'll have people like Paul who are just no-nonsense people. Just give me someone and get it done. And Both are useful, Father. And may we be a, a church family that understands that, that we're to think more highly of other people than we do our own selves. We're to encourage diversity. We're to encourage, Father, our growth in Christ. And for those who are younger, we're to help them to grow, Father. Let us be an example for the cause of Christ to anyone and everyone that comes our way. Lord, thank you for uh, studying the Bible like this, to see how it fits in and how everything has its purpose. Now bless us, Father. Bless us this day as we go from here. May this, um, may this day be a day that somehow, some way, by your grace, we would uh, serve you further. Um, be used by you further today, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. I'll see you next week. Amen.